Hi everybody, I'm Peter Travers and this is Popcorn where we tell you what is happening at the movies. And there's a movie now called Mark Felt, The Man Who Brought Down the White House. So many things about that subtitle that I love. Anyway, the star of this movie, Liam Neeson, is my guest today. Welcome, Liam. Thank Great you, to Peter. have you here. Great to be here. Thanks. It's, what was it about the idea of playing Mark Felt, Deep Throat, as the world knew him until it was revealed he was it? that appeal to you now to play. He was deep throat, yeah. Well, uh, during Watergate, which kicked off in 1972, I'm from the north of Ireland, we were going through our own troubles, as it was known as their 30-year war. So I was kind of aware, kind of aware of what Watergate was. It was on the periphery of our television channels, you know. But uh, Peter Lansman, the writer-director, who was an ex-investigative journalist, a very good one, uh, sent me this script. I knew, as they say, very, very little about it. So I started doing a bit of research and just realized how huge Watergate was. Not just for America, but for Western society. You know, that a president was going to be impeached and then left. It was like, and it was started by these two neophyte journalists, you know. Um, so it was fascinating research. And there are incredible parallels between oh, what was happening then and what's happening now. I mean, it's kind of uncanny, actually. Well, what you said about the journalists doing that, and, uh, yeah. you know, we also see the journalists from Time magazine. That's sure. It. But Sandy it's Smith. Mark yeah. Felt who's choreographing this, you know? Yes. I don't know if the journalists themselves could have found this without him. Um, Bernstein and Woodward... They had a lot of sources in there, mm -hmm. too. Not just Mark Felt, but Mark Felt seemed to be the guy that, that certainly guided Woodward. Bernstein never met him at all. Um, but Woodward had got a friendship going with Mark Felt from years back when Woodward was in the Navy and was, had documents to bring over to the White House and was waiting to go into the Situation Room and the in the White House, mm -hmm. and there was this stately gentleman, beautiful silver hair, waiting to go in too. So they struck up a conversation, and uh, and Mark felt kind of became like a father figure, kind of a mentor mm -hmm. to uh, Bernstein, uh, to to Woodward, Bob yeah. Woodward, and so Woodward worked on that relationship when he became a journalist, you know? He worked on it, but we see that during the 30 years that Felt was in the FBI, second to J. Edgar Hoover. Yes. Yeah. And basically that he got told, uh, goodbye, you know? We want to put our own guy in here. Exactly. You're not going to keep this job. Yes. And the movie is so complex and interesting for me because it's not just... I hate you for not giving me the job. Sure. It's what the FBI represented to him. Exactly. But I'm glad that came out too, Peter, because, you know, people say, why did he do it? Why did mm -hmm. he spill the beans? Mm -hmm. You know, he's, he's, you know, in FBI circles, he would be regarded as a traitor. You yeah. Know? Um, but I, I want to believe he, first off, he was very upset that when Hoover died, Mark Felt was, didn't get the number one position. Mm -hmm. He was very mm -hmm. hurt by that, as indeed were a lot of other FBI agents. His uh, wife wasn't happy either. She was not happy at <laughs> all. No. no. And um, I think that spurred him on. 
and also what the FBI were investigating about Watergate because they were really quick on the case when those five burglars broke in. Mm -hmm. The next day they were finding stuff. The three of them were in the CIA, yada yada, all that stuff spilled. So I think felt saw or predicted that this was going straight to the top. These covert operations, this criminality yeah. was coming from the West Wing. I think he found that and he thought, okay. Uh, and they were then, the, the, the West Wing were getting the CIA to try and impede the FBI investigation and felt, and his colleagues really took umbrage at that. They were trying to distort the FBI and mm -hmm. get in its way. So I think a culmination of those uh, made felt think, right, I'm going to. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get in and do it. Be because when you're watching this movie, it's impossible. You brought this up a little bit before, but to think of now. Yes. You know, yeah. it, <laughs> we all say, okay, the man who brought down the White House. Can, is this possible today from you playing this and from the research you did into it? Do you think we could ever live in a world where somebody can get together who's on the inside, cooperate with journalism oh, I think to so. do? I think we're seeing it at the moment, Peter. Mm -hmm. You know, there's leaks been spread all the time. It's driving the, our current president crazy mm -hmm. with these leaks, you know. And they're being done quicker because we're in the, the web age. We're in the computer age, mm -hmm. you know. In those days, in the early 70s, Woodward and uh, Bernstein were just, they were knocking on doors in the middle of the night trying to get information with little notebooks, you know. Um, nowadays, it's quicker. We can go on the internet. We can find out facts instantly, um, terrifyingly, mm -hmm. instantly, you know. Well, so this feels good doing this movie? Um, yeah. It, it was different from beating up bad guys. I say that because Albanians I keep hearing this announcement <laughs> from you about there's no more action movies for you. What is that? Well, that was that's like Daniel Craig after the last Bond film saying... Yeah, but he's soon. back. But that was post-traumatic stress disorder. I mean, those Bond movies, they shoot for eight they, months. They do, know? yeah. <laughs> I was feeling a little bit post-traumatic, you know. But no, I, um, I've got uh, two... Other action films coming out next year. Mm -hmm. One's called Hard Powder, and uh, the other's called The Commuter. Mm -hmm. With my old pal, John Colette Sarah. We've done four movies together. And uh, that's about shenanigans on a commuter train, mm -hmm. leaving Grand Central Station to go up towards Poughkeepsie direction. No, I saw the trailer. It's, you have 30 minutes to decide. Yeah, something <laughs> like know? that. Yeah, yeah. It's something to do that. But it's a, it's a really good... So uh, you're saying there's no taken four? No, definitely not, no. It's there's only so many times your daughter can get taken. <laughs> no, so, come on, you know. No, that's done. That's done. Well, it was the wife in the third one, you know. <laughs> so yes, that's true. Yeah. You can move on. There can be your dog. Yeah. <laughs> you can be any kind of I thing know. happening, yeah. And Maggie Grace, who brilliantly plays my daughter, she got married last year, mm -hmm. so she and I are sending each other messages that said, Maggie, you've got a great idea yeah. for taking seven, you know. You have a child, <laughs> child gets taken, I've been babysitting, you've been out, so we start sending each other these, <laughs> these silly ideas. See, well, I'm still believing that if the right person calls you with the right script and the right idea, that you might yeah, jump back into this. Maybe not to taken, 
No, not take them. No, I don't. But to so. something else. Yeah, sure, sure. When you look at when you look back at the stuff that you've done on screen, and it's so much. What are like the three things that you can look at and say, this was exactly when I took this, it turned out to be something that made me at least pleased and satisfied with what I did? Um, well, I'll, I'll be honest, Peter, I've made about 70 movies. Yeah, you have. I've like, there's never been a really bad experience, you mm -hmm. know? And sometimes people say, oh, what's your favorite? And, you know, there's... I, I always have to put Michael Collins because he was a, a revolutionary hero of mm -hmm. mine, you know. Uh, Irish revolutionary hero. Um, Schindler's List, of course, and a film called The Grey. Uh, now, The Grey was a terrific movie, sort of underrated to me. I thought it was too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it was, uh, it was very cathartic for me because my wife had passed away eight years ago. And we mm. shot this film seven years ago, and I just found it cathartic to be up in the wilds of Canada uh, um, saving guys lives after an airplane crash mm. it just was and I was with a great bunch of actors in the elements but you're putting yourself back into a job yeah. that can just help you Absolutely. get through something yeah. which was so difficult and work helps you know yeah. and I'm very blessed to you know be asked to be on movies by complete strangers, and mm -hmm. that, that always still shocks me, mm -hmm. even to this day, you know? That someone sends me a script I've never met, and they want me to be in their film. That just always touches me, you know? Mm -hmm. But people would come, well, I wanted to ask too about that, because you're raising two sons. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's all its own. That's much harder than taking well, one, two, and three. I had a lot of help, <laughs> Peter, too, you know? A lot of great help, but... Uh, but they're 21 and 22, so mm -hmm. they've, they've almost left the nest. And mm -hmm. That's, uh, I, listen, I was very lucky. I was lucky. I had a lot of great help. How are your sons when they see you on screen? Are they critical of you, or are they just totally supportive or saying, Dad, do something else? No, they're kind of, I mean, a few years ago, the ultimate criticism was, uh, yeah, Dad, uh, we saw that movie, yeah. yeah. You were cool. I was like, oh, really? I'm cool. <laughs> yes. What was that movie? That <laughs> was it. You know? Yeah. So, uh, but uh, my eldest boy, Michael, he's 22. He's become an actor and is trained. And uh, much to my protestation, he's uh, and he's, he's getting work and he's he's uh, he's got a good critical eye, you know. But you fought it all the way. Don't yes. do this. I did, uh, because, listen, any actor, actress will tell you, if you're lucky enough to get an audition, mm -hmm. it's, you're rejected nine times out of ten. Mm -hmm. And you're not rejected because of your education, where you went to school or college. You're rejected because of this, the air you occupy. Mm -hmm. You're too tall. You're too Irish. Your nose is too broke. You're too this. You're too that. You're too much like Jeff Bridges. You're too... It's like, so then you have to go out of the audition room and if you're lucky enough to have another audition the next day, you have to get your mojo back to go in and try and nail a job. So I didn't want my son going through that mm -hmm. and, uh, because it is about rejection. 
Yeah, I mean, rejection comes in life, but it is usually because, well, you don't have the qualifications to do this. It's sure. not all those very personal things. No, it's very personal. Yeah. Being an actor, actress. Yeah. Well, and even worse on actresses, I think. Oh, Much sure. Worse. Yeah. You know, well, that, there, the ageism is huge. It's just, I'm sorry, you know, you're the mother. I'm sorry, you're, you're 28 years of age, you're too old. We're mm -hmm. looking for a 22-year-old, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. Tough. What about back in Ireland with you and your parents? What were they saying when you said, I'm going to do this? Well, I didn't. That was the trouble. I, um, you didn't say it? No, it was 1975. Mm -hmm. And I, we had a theater, the Lyric Players Theater, that I'm a patron of now. Professional theater. Mm -hmm. uh, repertory theater. I, I think in this country you would say it was a stock theater. Mm -hmm. They had a play every month. I took a day off work, and I was an architect's assistant. I was living at home. Mm -hmm. I took a day off work to go up to Belfast. I lived about 30 miles outside of Belfast to do an audition for the Lyric Theatre. I didn't tell my parents. Took the train up, did this audition. And before I left the theatre, I, I signed a contract to become a professional actor. They needed somebody over six foot four. I happened to be six foot four. It wasn't that my audition blew them away. <laughs> it didn't. But however, I signed this contract. And uh, by the time I got home, now Northern Ireland then, and especially Belfast, was like Beirut in the Civil War. And for me not to tell my parents, of course, there was no mobile phones, you know. Mm -hmm. I should have been home having my dinner with them at 5.30. I staggered into the house at 11 o'clock that night, having got the train back, having gone to the local pub, having shown my mates this contract, a few pints of Guinness, mm -hmm. staggered back home. My f parents' face was that color, with worry and concern. And I told them where I was. And they just were stunned. They didn't speak to me for maybe a week and a half. And... Uh, and then they gradually accepted it. But I'll never forget the hurt I caused them mm. by stupidly not saying. And I was, I was 23 years of age. It mm -hmm. wasn't as if I was right. 12 or 13 or 14. You know, I was a man. Mm -hmm. But I was living at home, and I didn't tell them. I took the day off work to sneak up and do this audition. Well, I guess it's just like your son, but who wanted to become an actor, who didn't. I wonder how long it took him to tell you, I Dad, know. this is what I want to do. I, know. I think he told everybody else except me. That's right. Well, he certainly told his grandmother, who's so, Vanessa Redgrave, and it's like she gave him good advice. advice. Then eventually he came to me. You know? I think if Vanessa Redgrave told me it was okay, I'd, yeah. I'd say it was okay. Yeah, maybe. I would just That's go true. ahead and do it. Yeah. All right, well, you know we end in song. Well, you did. You did some Irish thing for me the last time. And it was I? beautiful. <laughs> and now you can do it in French. Oh, I don't know. But it don't be a whole song. Just this tiny little something of you in... You want me to sing? Of course I do. I Thursday force you morning. to. What did I sing I don't the care last what time. morning. But it was, it was Irish. I can't say it. But it was, just, it was beautiful. Well, my favorite song in the whole world is Danny Boy. Oh, come on. It still then. is. It's just one of the greatest. Just a little bit of that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, Danny Boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling. From glen to glen and down the mountainside. 
انتظار بی این سنشین ام شادو او دنی بوی او دنی بوی ای لوف یو سو بات کم یی بک ون سمرز ان دا میدو or when the valley's hushed and white with snow tis i'll be always gets me that song always gets me it should it should it gets and if, any and, and, and it goes on to say if i'm dead just stand on my grave and my grave will the sweeter be because you're standing on it how beautiful is that that's shakespearean it, it is it's beautiful and it does get you always you know? gets me And I remember when I used to, when I lived in L.A. years and years ago, if I had an audition in some hotel, and you had, you had to wait, you know. Mm-hmm. And usually there'd be a piano player downstairs in the lobby playing, and I'd always ask them to sing, play Danny Boy. And for some reason it just gave me a... And you could go in. I could go in. You could go in and do it. Because of that soppy, And yet you resisted song. me so viciously. Because you're asking me to sing, sing first thing in the morning. morning you know? Know? It's not that early in the morning. And there's not a pint Come of on Guinness there, anywhere. It's, it's, well, we'll get that for you the next time. <laughs> Liam, thank you so Thanks, much. Peter. Always great to talk to you. You too, sir. <laughs>